This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. One day last March, Mady Hornig was headed to the pharmacy to pick up medication for her son. But oddly, she was having trouble getting her shoes on. My toes were that swollen. And it was the top and the bottom of the toes. It wasn't really into the leg at that point. And they were very red. And I had to wear Ugg boots to to go out. She didn't know it at the time, but she was having symptoms of COVID-19. And she couldn't get in to see a doctor. Of course, we were here in New York. It was... uh, almost impossible to get seen unless you, you know, were gasping for air or your lips were blue. This was happening to other people too. Matt Keating is a musician in Manhattan. I was dizzy all the time. I would go into these sweats. But here's the thing that really got me was I started to notice my heart was beating faster than usual. Hundreds of miles south in Atlanta, Georgia, Marjorie Roberts was living through a similar story. I took my little usual walk to the mailbox. I stumbled and lost my balance. This weird sensation came over me. I started to feel like somebody was taking a vacuum cleaner and sucking the life out of me. In the U.S., more than half a million people have died in the past year of COVID-19. Hornig, Keating, and Roberts, they were survivors. But unlike the majority of those who were infected with the virus... They didn't get back to normal in a couple of weeks. Their symptoms persisted for months. I just started to notice my heart was just racing and I just didn't feel right. I had this weird shortness of breath and I kept thinking, am I imagining this? Like, is this anxiety? These symptoms are consistent with something called long COVID. Doctors call it PASC, which stands for post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Every night I would just go, I'm afraid I'm going to not wake up. But I would constantly was Googling, how long does this last? How long does COVID last? Patients like Keating have become a data trove for researchers who are beginning to use statistics about their symptoms to find answers not just for COVID-19, but for other diseases. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Janet Babin. Today on the podcast, what happens when COVID-19 symptoms don't end and how clues from this illness could help us to understand other viral diseases and how we treat them. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. 
Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Mady Hornig, the one who couldn't fit into her shoes and had to wear Ugg boots to the pharmacy. She's an associate professor of epidemiology at Columbia University, and she's also a psychiatrist and an MD. But last March, she was mainly sick. By April, she figured she'd had COVID. And this was weeks after her 12-day fever. But her mysterious symptoms continued. She was finally able to get tested at an urgent care. And then they went to draw my blood, and my blood looked like coffee grounds. It was dark black, and that was just really strange. As you can imagine, this got the staff's attention, but her results were confusing. Everything was negative. So the antibodies were negative, the molecular tests, you know, what we call the PCR test, the nasal swab test was negative. This means, according to those tests, if she did have COVID, It wasn't in her system anymore, but she was still sick, like Marjorie Roberts of Atlanta, Georgia. I couldn't breathe. It felt like somebody was sitting on my chest. I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, and I was having the most scariest nightmares that you ever had in your life. Roberts went to the hospital, but she also tested negative for COVID. They sent her home, where she got worse. I couldn't do anything for myself. I could do nothing for myself. I was sicker than I had ever been in my life. So they had to take me back to the emergency room again on May 28th. I had to keep going back. She started to lose hope. So I told my daughter I was gonna die. I told her to make sure she knew where all the life insurance papers was, make sure she did everything right by the will. And I just told her nothing, I, I, I just was gonna give up. These experiences mirror what our colleague, Your Health columnist Sumathi Reddy, found in her extensive reporting on long COVID. She began following virus survivor groups on social media last spring. And I got in touch with one of the women, and she sounded really, really sick on the phone. She was very young in her 30s, uh, Mississippi, still keep in touch with her. Um, and she said, do you want me to post something in my private group and tell people to email you if they're interested in talking to you? And I said, sure. She said, okay, well, I just want you to know your inbox is going to flood. And she was correct because she posted something and within hours, I started getting emails. Reddy became inundated with interviews of sick people and she wrote about them as part of her work in the journal. And she says in part, due to a lack of adequate testing in the beginning of the pandemic, this troubling picture began to emerge. And a lot of these people said their doctors had no idea what to do with them. They said, okay, maybe it's anxiety, you know, because a lot of people had shortness of breath and a racing heartbeat. Those are, you know, sort of classic, can be classic anxiety symptoms. So they were chalking it up to mental health issues. And these patients, you know, were like, no, I've never had a mental health issue. That's not what it is. I might be developing one because I've been sick for four months and you don't believe me. 
But, you know, that's not what was causing the symptoms. You know, it might have been exacerbating some of them, but not causing them. In Atlanta, when Roberts was finally able to connect with her primary care physician, she expected to get help and treatment. But that's not what happened. She's like, Margie, you've been watching too much television and you're mimicking what you're seeing on TV and I really need you to get a grip. And I'm like, but, 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 but all these things are going on. She's like, you're not sick, Margie. You don't have COVID. And even Horning, a psychiatrist and MD, says her doctors implied to her that she was somehow mentally causing her heart rate to rise and her blood pressure to spike. I was told that perhaps there were some deep-seated issues that I needed to think about in my life. And if I was ready to talk about those, you know, we could try to figure that part out. Now, COVID-19 is a new disease, and a lot of symptoms have yet to be established. And this was especially the case in the earlier months of the pandemic. Some initial reports about COVID-19 indicated that it mostly affected older people or those with underlying health conditions. But Reddy says many of the people she interviewed were different. A lot of the people I spoke to are, you know, previously healthy and not just healthy, but active, like really active. People who have run marathons, who were college athletes, you know, college students. And that was true for New York City musician Matt Keating. Maybe I'll meet you when the time is wrong. He was formerly healthy. He got a mild fever and headache in March and figured that he, his wife and daughter had somehow contracted the virus. After a few weeks, he thought the worst was over. But in May, he was still sick and went back to the doctor. I was negative for COVID, but it was two months after. The spring turned into summer. Keating started to get a new, unfamiliar feeling in his chest. And then one night, I just was laying there in bed with my wife, and I, I just started taking my pulse and on, like, on my neck, and it started going boom, 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 boom. Like, <laughs> it was skipping beats. I kind of flipped out. And it just kept going into the fall. And I kept playing this game with myself. Okay, it's week number... 18, it's got to be over now. Week 20, week, you know, and it just was week after week after week. So how did these patients get through? Keating turned to yoga and meditation. Hornig relied on her own expertise as an MD. And Roberts leaned on her family and on other survivors that she met online. Mentally, I have got myself to a really good spot because I had joined a lot of COVID-19 survivor groups back in, like, back in the beginning, and I had met a lot of people like myself, and I had met a lot of people that were even sicker than I was. Many of these COVID-19 groups started cropping up last spring, like Survivor Corps, started by Diana Barrett. She got sick last March, and she started posting on social media to search for answers, share symptoms, and find remedies. There is still very little guidance given to anyone when they get COVID, other than, you know, go to the emergency room, but only when you think you are dying. So anything short of that, you're really on your own. 
Lawrence says in the past year, Survivor Corps has become an army of citizen scientists eager to share their data. Long haulers, as some long COVID patients call themselves, list the symptoms they're experiencing, they compare notes, and Barron says ultimately are able to advocate for themselves with their doctors. And our members regularly print out that list and literally highlight all of the ones that they have and bring it to their doctors and say, look, you're telling me that I just have anxiety, but I fit this completely. You need to take me seriously. And we have really smart clinicians who are in the group also and are there to learn from patients. Survivor Corps has collected health data from a large selection of its members. This information from COVID-19 patients is creating a unique research set, a large group of individuals suffering from the same virus. I would say that the COVID medical cohort is more akin to the 9-11 firefighters who are all in the pile together than a cancer group, for example, because no one had this 10 years ago. No one, I mean, everybody got it sort of all at once and we're all going through it together. And never has there been such a coordinated, motivated cohort to heal themselves and each other. A research group formed out of another COVID support group, Body Politic. Last December, members of that group called Patient-Led Research Collaborative for COVID-19 conducted an international web-based survey. It published the results on the preprint server MedArchive. The survey collected information from people who had COVID-19 or suspected they did. Based on input from more than 3,700 respondents, the group reported that 96% of them had symptoms beyond 90 days. The report also stated that many patients are not recovered by seven months, and continued to experience significant symptom burden. This was the group's second survey of patients. The first one it conducted was released last May. There may be physicians who are still skeptical of this condition and its connection to COVID-19. And the science and the understanding of these symptoms is still evolving. But as early as last summer, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published a report that found lingering symptoms in patients, even among those who initially had mild cases of the virus. And last month, the National Institutes of Health announced it will make $1.15 billion in grants available for research projects to study long COVID. But a lot of that research is already in full swing. Coming up after the break, the leading theories behind why long COVID symptoms are happening and what these investigations could reveal about other diseases. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. While survivors of long COVID were gathering on social media, sharing information about their conditions, the medical community, they were trying to wrap their heads around what was going on. Dr. David Petrino is the Director of Rehabilitation Innovation at the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. 
He also treats patients at the Center for Post-COVID Care at Mount Sinai, one of a number of these types of clinics that launched this past year. By the last week of April, we started to notice that about 10% of these patients who were less severe, non-hospitalized patients for the most part, just weren't getting better. They were starting to develop an entirely distinct set of symptoms, and we didn't quite know what to do with them. So it was around that point that we formed a group of other people who were seeing similar things within the health system. Petrino says one of the first things the group did was to start tracking patient symptoms. Mount Sinai has now cataloged more than 50 different symptoms of long COVID. Petrino says that can help them to better diagnose patients. But they're also trying to determine why some people get these prolonged, debilitating illnesses and others don't. And they don't know for sure yet. But Dr. Petrino says there are a few theories. One has to do with whether people ended up in the hospital. Like Hornig, Roberts, and Keating, many of the people who got long COVID were sick at home. It could be that they are now more vulnerable to persistent viral effects because they weren't treated aggressively in a hospital. When you get hospitalized, you're given steroids for cytokine storm. You're given all sorts of medications to bring down systemic inflammation. You probably remember people talking about the cytokine storm. It's the immune system's overzealous effort to fight off the virus, and it's what caused many COVID-19 deaths early on. This overactive immune system causes inflammation, and it might have also played out in patients at home. But Dr. Petrino says it went untreated. If you're sitting at home and you're asymptomatic or you're mildly symptomatic or even moderately symptomatic, The going advice is write it out. And in this case, individuals who had a particularly strong cytokine surge, which is invisible, you can't see that in patients, these could be the patients that go on to develop persistent symptoms. Another theory about why some people have these stubborn symptoms after getting COVID-19 has to do with a condition physicians have chronicled and linked with other diseases, something called dysautonomia. It's a group of medical problems that emerge when a person's autonomic nervous system goes out of whack. This is the body's control center for all the things we don't normally have to worry or think about. All the stuff our bodies just miraculously take care of for us. You know, breathe in, breathe out. Heart contract, heart relax. Digestion, when you sweat, when you um, need to warm your core temperature up. All of these things that your body quite amazingly does without any conscious attention um, and just keeps you regulating. The thinking is that the virus is messing with this system. So while your heart might be palpitating, going too fast, it's not necessarily your heart that's malfunctioning. It's this system that helps to regulate your heart. But Dr. Petrino stresses, this is just another theory. So we could have clusters of symptoms uh, and, and patients who are actually getting lots of different syndromes because of the strain that the virus placed on their body and because that they were predisposed for that specific niche syndrome, or it could be an entirely novel post-viral syndrome. 
So long COVID could originate with these autonomic issues. Researchers are also considering how the symptoms could come from an overlapping issue, an autoimmune disease. In some ways, post-COVID symptoms are similar to autoimmune conditions. These can happen when the immune system attacks the body. The result can be diseases that include multiple sclerosis, celiac, lupus, or rheumatoid arthritis. In certain cases, autoimmune conditions can cause dysautonomia because the overactive immune system attacks the autonomic nervous system. Autoimmune diseases can be tricky in other ways, too. In some cases, they can lie dormant in the body and show no symptoms. People might not even know they have an autoimmune disease unless something triggers it, like COVID. So high-stress situations, a particularly hard or strenuous illness, And so the sort of final theory that we're investigating is, in fact, that some of these people, the people who are experiencing persistent symptoms of COVID were, you know, right at that cusp of kicking into pre-autoimmunity and contracting COVID really gave their system that final push to put them into that category. Part of the legacy of COVID-19 may be better understanding these autoimmune conditions, Dr. Petrino says studying long COVID is already influencing how researchers consider the effects of other so-called silent diseases. And he includes in this list illnesses like POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome or another group of illnesses you might have heard of known as ME-CFS, myalgic encephalomyelitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. I think that there is a silver lining to this. This might usher in a new sort of form of medicine where we actually listen and we be patient-centric and we be symptom-centric and we work with the patient to find strategies that are helping them. Some early research indicates that getting vaccinated may help COVID long haulers feel better, though another contingent of patients has reported the reverse, that they feel worse after getting a vaccine. Petrino and others say they still need more solid clinical data on what these patients are experiencing. But that data has a long horizon. And the COVID long haulers we spoke to, they're not ready to look into next year. They're still trying to figure out next week. Marjorie Roberts says her health has improved, but she says her life is not the same. I am up to the point now that I can walk a block and a half by myself in my neighborhood. Mady Hornig says a year later, she's still not back to her normal self, but can sense improvement in her condition. If I was doing the cha-cha before, one step forward, two steps back, I'm like maybe one step forward, one and a quarter steps back. So with careful attention to the amount of energy I'm expending, making sure I get enough sleep, you know, if at all possible, but I'm still short of breath. As for Matt Keating, he says he feels much better, but he still has some nagging heart issues. I've had one incident, like, in the last couple weeks I'd taken on a lot more than I normally do. And I kind of overwhelmed myself and I started to notice, oh yeah, my heart fluttered a little bit, but it wasn't like the dropout. It was like a little flutter or something. And I, I guess I've felt a couple skips in the last maybe six weeks, but nothing like it. It was, it was daily. 
Keating and his band have just finished a new album. Maybe I'll meet you in your time of trial When you're in He hopes he'll have the stamina when things are back to normal to get through a live show. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. Lee Camping-Carter is deputy editor of The Future of Everything. Thanks to Sumathi Reddy for her reporting. And to Matt Keating and his band, Bastards of Fine Arts, for some original music. Thanks also to Survivor Corps and Body Politic. Our fact checker is Maddie Bender. Our sound designer is Sarah Gibble-Laska. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Kateri Yoakum is the Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Janet Babin. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.